Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Palladium Hotel Group. Grand Palladia Jamaica Resort and Spa stands as a luxurious haven nestled on the captivating northern coast of Jamaica. The recent refurbishment includes the 537 recently renovated suites, 48 of which include a private pool and terrace, an ideal ambiance for relaxation. The Infinity Saloon Bar, the focal point of Grand Palladium Jamaica Resort and Spa, was also redesigned. This bar offers breathtaking 180-degree views of the Caribbean Sea and hosts live music and entertaining shows. What's up, everyone? Today is Tuesday, October 17th. Happy Travel Tuesday. We've got a great show for you today. We'll be talking big things around the world of travel and travel advisor commissions, too. If you've been listening to the show and you enjoy it, I'd love for you to leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. You can also get in touch with me. Podcast at TravelPulse.com is our email. And we have a hotline for the show, too. You can call in and leave a message. 201-381-3017 is the Travel Pulse podcast number. And joining me on the show now is Tarika Haynes, CEO and founder of Dynamite Travel. Welcome to the show, Tarika. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Um, My name's Tarika. I've been a travel advisor for 15 years. This is my 15-year anniversary, so it's an exciting year for me. Um, In addition to being a travel advisor for 15 years, earlier this year, um, I was selected as a 2023 Asta Travel Advisor of the Year. So again, 2023 has been a major year for me. Um, I also contribute to a number of press and media outlets, including Travel Pulse. Um, so I'm just excited to be here and share some of my insights and chat with you today. Yeah, great to finally get you on the podcast here. And I'm excited to discuss our topics at hand with, with news and everything. And we're going to discuss the current state of travel advisor commissions and what advisors need to know there. And Tarika's going to offer up her advice too and how travel advisors can maximize things there and, and just general uh, good insights and knowledge from the Asta Travel Advisor of the Year here. So looking forward to that. Let's later in the show. But first, before we get to that, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening to the show, we're going to dive into what's been trending in the world of travel in the last week. And we begin with travel advisors saving the day for their clients last week in Israel. So from rearranging flights to getting passengers on buses to cross borders, to coordinating private charters, dealing with passengers on cruise ships, and even offering to help on volunteer basis to stranded travelers who didn't even use a travel advisor, Many travel advisors out there came through in so many different ways for clients last week in getting them out of Israel following the terrorist attacks and war breaking out. So you can read more about our full feature on TravelPulse.com for more stories and travel advisor efforts there. But Tarika, did, uh, you didn't have any clients in Israel and everything, um, but just travel advisors. I mean, saving the day for their clients in so many ways, as I'm sure you've done time and time and again. Yes, yes, indeed. So I think one of the ways that people see our value as travel advisors is to know that if something happens, that we are going to be there to help them to be their ally. And as you mentioned, there were tons of stories out there with travel advisors. I mean, the the news came so fast. It was like all of a sudden we just got these emails saying that all flights have been halted. And I was like, whoa, like there was no warning or anything. So I imagine a lot of travel advisors had to move very quickly to um, assist their clients. And as you mentioned, some people that weren't even their clients, which kind of speaks to the level of professionalism and and sympathy that we as advisors have during times of emergency. So um, I heard tons of stories about travel advisors stepping in to help people. And I also just recently heard about Royal Caribbean even sending a ship to Israel. Did you hear about that, Eric? Yeah, that they did. Yeah, the, the Rhapsody, I believe it was. Yeah, sending and to evacuate Americans out of Israel. So great to see, you know, 
the travel industry coming together in, in so many different ways for, for all of this, for, for help and aid. Exactly, exactly. Jumping over to air travel news, we get into some big ones here as four U.S. airlines face a possible strike as flight attendants say they're ready to strike if labor contract negotiations stall. We've got Southwest, United, Alaska, and American Airlines all facing these potential strikes, but negotiations are still ongoing, so I think the likelihood of all four having a strike is not super high. And then the odds of any strike really happening at all seem likely low here, but still, I mean, even just one strike would be a devastating blow to the air travel experience for for travelers out there and, and advisors too. So Tariqa, your, your thoughts on a potential flight attendant strike here? My thoughts. I mean, the airlines, it seems like there's always something going on with the airlines, right? And um, I think I agree with you that more than likely we won't see all four strike, but there's a few things we have to keep in mind here. We have an upcoming holiday season coming mm-hmm. and don't we still have a potential of a possibility for a government shutdown? Yes, if it doesn't. So, yeah, yeah. so all of those things combined together could be a disaster, right? So let's hope for the best. Um, I'm trying to think positively um, and that none of them will go on strike. But as you mentioned, even if one airline were to go on strike, it would cause major disruption to travel plans of people all across the U.S. and across the world, you know, for people that may be traveling into the U.S. as well. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Yes, definitely hope for the best and, and positive vibes here on the podcast for sure. But yeah, I, I think the odds of this, like I said, are, are pretty low on this. The airlines cannot let this happen. You know, they they faced so much scrutiny in the last three years with everything that's happened over that time period. And just you just can't take this type of PR hit, you know, so pay the flight attendants. Let's go. Let's get moving. Let's have a great, seamless, easy holiday travel experience coming up because it's going to be crowded. Very crowded. I mean, if you... <laughs> If you've seen some of the stories, the viral stories online, the Florentines deserve it. Like, they oh, go absolutely. through a lot mm-hmm. of stuff. You know what I mean? They have to put up with a lot of stuff. And so I think that whatever they're asking for, they probably deserve it anyway. Oh, a hundred times, yes. I mean, it's, they're not babysitters up there, but they kind of have to act like that at times, which is, a, a, you know, we live in a society and some people forget that, unfortunately. And travel uh, flight attendants, you know, save the day and as well on things. So. Yes, pay them, pay them their money. So in other travel news, the Federal Trade Commission announced a new proposed rule that would make it illegal for businesses to charge so-called junk fees, which are often hidden from consumers. And if passed, it could save travelers money on everything from tickets to events to accommodations. It would mandate that companies be fined and forced to pay back consumers if they continue charging junk fees. So this new proposed rule comes during a year when travel giants like Frontier Airlines, Marriott, Hilton, and Hyatt have all faced lawsuits or government investigations into their charging travelers hidden fees. If the rule is enacted, it would be illegal to advertise a price that hides a mandatory fee, and it would also be illegal not to disclose the purpose of any extra fees that consumers would pay. Tarika, your thoughts on junk fees and just the fees in general as associated with travel? Yeah, I think in almost every case, more transparency is a good thing. It's better. And so, you know, speaking from a travel advisor who goes hard for their clients, who loves their clients, I want to see more transparency for our clients because they deserve that. Um, I, I also think that transparency could help us as advisors to just be able to speak more clearly to the charges that our clients may receive. As of right now, you know, as you mentioned, there could be fees embedded into the total cost that we can't really speak of because it's hidden and we don't know. But if things are more cut and clear and more transparent, it kind of helps us to be able to relay that message better to our clients. So I think it's a win-win, you know, win for us, a win for our consumers and our clients. And it's 
it's been that way to begin with, right? Maybe that's just me, but I'm just like, why were the junkies even there to begin with? That feels kind of like unethical or like misleading. Greed. So. That, that's why it was there. Greed. Yes. Money hungry. <laughs> money hungry power. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just like you said there, I, I, I don't think that, you know, this should be a thing, uh, but it is. And, you know, here we are moving forward and the FTC actually does not need the power of Congress to pass this, which is great. So they can just get, get right through this and it just makes sense. You know, it just makes sense. It's one of those things that's some of the, sometimes you read the news and you're like, wait, what? Like this makes sense. Why, why is this not a thing already? And, but here, here we are. And it's all about the money and the power, right? Unfortunately. Doing the right thing should always make sense, right? Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of money, we jumps over to cruise news now and Discussing how valuable the cruise industry might be in the next decade, new cruise data found that global cruise tourism market size and share were valued at around $5.29 billion last year. And according to Custom Market Insights' new report, the cruise industry is expected to reach a value of an estimated $14.65 billion by 2032. That's a lot of money. That's, that's a huge jump. And the new report found that uh, cruise consumer preferences include a growing interest in experiential travel, adventure tourism, and of course, luxury experiences. That's where you're going to see a lot of money on that side of things. But that's a huge jump. Uh, your thoughts on the future of the cruise industry here, Tarika? Are you buying? Are you selling before uh, this massive jump from uh, five billion to fourteen billion next decade? So, I think we can agree that the cruise industry took a major hit during the pandemic, and I actually felt bad for them because, in addition to just halting operations and losing money, their reputation kind of got drug through the mud, like people were talking about how they were cesspools for COVID and yada, yada, yada. So excited to see the cruise industry coming back. I mean, it's bad. Let's not say coming back. Cruise yeah. industry is bad. I'm excited for them because I'm, you know, I'm happy that they were kind of able to regain. And so it does seem like a huge jump, but I actually think it's possible. I've, I've been noticing that a lot of cruise companies are getting more creative and intentional in the service and offerings that they have for consumers you know, I'm seeing a number of different sectors growing, you know, exponentially or at a rapid rate, such as like river and expedition, which kind of aligns with what you stated the report said, which is, you know, customers wanting more um, adventure tourism, luxury experiences. So that kind of aligns with some of the growing sectors that we're seeing um, within the cruise industry. So I just think in general, it's a really exciting time for the cruise industry and I'll stand out there and say they surpassed that number that they're estimating. They may surpass that fourteen point six five billion. Okay, all right, I that think. bold, yeah, bold prediction there. I mean, I, I, yeah. I certainly think they're we'll gonna they're to, gonna raise. We'll up. have to come back to this in twenty thirty two and see if I was right. We we will circle back on this, and I will very much uh, look forward to the numbers. You know, in twenty thirty two, I don't even start thinking about twenty. 32. Is it weird? My, my first thought was, uh, how old are my kids going to be? <laughs> so a uh, new I dad. Know. life. Yeah. So, um, 2032 is, it's not too far away. Um, when, when yeah. you get to really thinking about it, but that's a sheer large number of, of dollars there, 14.65 billion. And when you look at the cruise industry one, you know, we just, I discussed this on the podcast last week that the prices are rising. I don't see them slowing down anytime soon on that front. So that's certainly going to help you as you, you know, jump in value in this estimated billions here, but also, as you alluded to, that there's so many more experiences and so many more offerings too. Then cruise lines are coming out with new ships, and they're getting better ships too, more eco-friendly ships. The, the the message, the positive, you know, thinking in that front is great to see in the industry already, making steps towards that. So I absolutely agree with this. It's a, there's a great value in cruising and that type of vacation. So I'm I'm buying on this. I, I think that they can reach that 14. I don't know about passing, but 
yeah, in, 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 the, in the teens of the billions by 2032, I think certainly could see sort of some value on that, barring, you know, any sort of, you know, world pandemic and craziness on, on that front, which, you know, we're, we're past that. And we're, as you said, the cruise industry is already back now. So let's hope we don't face anything like that again. Absolutely. Jumping over to destination news, we talk about uh, Caribbean tourism expansion. The Caribbean destinations are building new resorts, expanding cruise itineraries, developing airport and seaport infrastructure, and altering tourism management systems to capitalize on the region's 2023 travel boom and really just uh, post-pandemic boom here. The Caribbean's kind of thriving there. So speaking at this week's uh, past week's uh, State of the Industry Conference in Turks and Caicos, our reporter Brian Major was there covering that and he did a great recap piece that you can check out on travelpulse.com and the feature story talks about how the government and tourism officials detailed initiatives intended to support post-pandemic regional growth in land and sea visitors. There's updates on details on U.S. Virgin Islands, Cayman Islands, St. Lucia, the Bahamas, Antigua and Barbuda, and Anguilla, and Jamaica. So a lot of great insights on that report. You can check it out on travelpulse.com. But Tarika, just your thoughts. You know, I know you sell the Caribbean a good bit. Um, the, the growth here is it's been great to see and and I'm very excited about all these new, you know, hotels and uh, resorts and and air travel as well. Definitely. Um, And I think this is a great follow up to our last discussion that we were just talking about, which is the cruise industry, because uh, in some of the Caribbean destinations, um, I think that the cruise industry rebound was part of the fuel or the motivation for them to revitalize and and, and rebuild and, and build new things. I'm thinking about specifically places like Bahamas who just built a beautiful new um, cruise terminal area. Also, St. Thomas is doing a lot in their area. So I think that it all kind of aligns or ties together in a sense, you know, once one area is starting to thrive, it kind of, you know, rolls over into another area. So I think, I, I don't think there's one island in the Caribbean right now that's not experiencing growth, which is a great thing. Um, and you know, whether that be new construction, urban, urban renewal, renovations, each of these islands are doing things to beautify and improve um, their destination, which is great because now is the time to do it when the demand for travel is so high. Um, so I love what I'm seeing from from the different destinations. Um, I'm super excited uh, about the growth in some of these islands. I mentioned St. Thomas. They have a number of new hotels there that I can't wait to see. Um, St. Lucia, um, Antigua. I mean, even Anguilla. I mean, there's there's growth all over the Caribbean, and so it's a really exciting time um, for the area right now. And I know that one thing you'll hear from a lot of people is, "Oh, I've been to the Caribbean. I've been there before. I don't want to go again." But this is a great time to revisit that area that you have written off because there's so much change going on in that area right now, and a lot of the things that you probably experienced either aren't there anymore or they're completely different. So I think. The Caribbean is saying, hey, come visit us or come back and visit us. I know it's been a long time, but we're here to impress you and show off and show you some of the new things that we're doing. So it's an exciting time. Absolutely. Yeah. There's an array of options, too, of of what you can do and experience in the Caribbean. And they're they're capitalizing, you know, on success this year and putting those tourism dollars to good work and, you know, making things better and enhanced, too. Because as you said, some people may have gone to the Caribbean before, but, you know, there's there's a lot new and a lot more to see and do there. And I, for one, am very much looking forward to my next Caribbean trip, which I don't know where it is, but I know I'm going somewhere uh, in 2024 for that. I don't have anything set for, for this year, but uh, looking forward to always always getting back to the Caribbean and hopefully getting to a new destination this time around too. So that wraps up. What would be your, oh, what would be your go-to for a new destination? Uh, Turks and Caicos. We just talked about that's where the conference was that Brian was at. And uh, I would love to yeah. get to the Turks. I've never been to Turks and Caicos. So 
put that on the radar for sure. All right, we'll put it on there. All right. Yeah. So that wraps up uh, pretty much what has been trending in the world of travel in the last week. I have a lot of stuff we didn't get to. So make sure you subscribe to our newsletter and check us out, travelpulse.com for all the news. Any additional thoughts, you can drop me an email, podcast at travelpulse.com. Love to hear from you guys out there. So that wraps up what has been trending this week. Let's jump over to our theme of the week now, and that's on travel advisor commissions. Today's episode is brought to you by Palladium Hotel Group. Grand Palladium Cantonet Resort and Spa is an enchanting destination nestled along the shores of Mexico's Riviera Maya. Guests at the Grand Palladium Cantonet are treated to a wide array of amenities and activities. The resort's reopening is scheduled for December 2023 and will debut family selection in the Riviera Maya. These unique spaces were designed with traveling families in mind, where guests can enjoy special amenities and personalized attention, ideal for those seeking a premium experience with activities for adults and children. So, Tarika, first, you know, let's start with the basics here for anyone listening who's not too familiar, I guess. Uh, can you just dive into travel advisor commissions, how they work? What do you think uh, people may not know about the travel advisor commissions when it comes to that? Sure. So, um, generally, travel advisor commissions are a percentage based on the total cost of the vacation. Sometimes you'll find a fixed fee, but more often than not, it's usually a, a percentage of the total cost or of a, a bulk of that cost. Um, and I think that some things that people don't may not know about travel advisor commissions is that in most cases, travel advisors are not paid the commission until the client returns from their vacation. I think that's a major misconception is, I don't know if people think we get paid up front or along the way, or a lot of people don't realize that it could be a long time before we actually touch a payment, especially if we're working with a client, you know, nine months in advance, a year in advance, that's a long time to not get paid. And I think that that's a misconception that some people may have or not know about uh, travel advisor commissions. Um, I think also that some people may assume or think that the commission percentage is higher than it is. And I say that because some people have really big asks. <laughs> and I think that or they may, you know, proceed or act a certain way. But I think if more people understood um, things better and knew, like, the approximate amount or percentage that we were getting, it might change the way they approach things or the way they act uh, throughout the process. So I think that people just, they may know that we get paid, but they have no idea, like, is it 1% or 10%? Is it 20% or 50%? Like, I think people don't know what the industry standard is unless they're kind of in the industry. Um, and then one other thing that I think that some people don't know is that in a lot of cases, we don't get paid um, unless the client actually goes on vacation. This means we could be working with a person for like 10 months and then they get sick or they lose their job or something or for some unforeseen reason they can't go on a vacation. Well, if they don't go on a vacation and they don't have the stay or the sailing or whatever it is, then we don't get paid in most cases. And so, again, I think maybe people may assume maybe we get paid at, you know, milestones or along the way. They don't realize that if they don't go, we don't get paid or that we don't get paid until after they have taken the vacation. So I think that there's definitely a lot of opportunity for education, both within the industry and, you know, for people that are just consumers or outside of the industry. And I think it would help improve certain things if there was more awareness. Definitely. Yeah. Just being more transparent with it all. And uh, you talk about, you know, not being paid up front and 
that's where a lot of travel advisors have made the shift to, you know, paying, charging fees and having the, the consumers pay them, you know, a fee for working with them. Because as you said, it could be 10 months, could be over a year before that person ever travels. And then, then they may not travel. It's, you never know. Life is unexpected with things, but that's where the, the fees come in. And that plays a, a role with everything too on, on travel advisors. Absolutely. Definitely. And, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I was going to get to that, but now is a perfect time. Um, I saw a report recently from ASTA and I believe, don't quote me on these numbers, but I believe it said that 54% of travel advisors charge a fee. And I think that's way too low. And that's, I don't know if these are the best words to use, but I think that's part of the problem is that um, if more travel advisors charged a fee, I think it would change the perception that people have of travel advisors and put them more in the mindset that we are truly professionals. Um, if you think about many other professionals, you know, before you even get to talk to them or before they can come to your house, you have to pay a fee, whether that's a diagnostic or consult or whatever they may call it. Um, but when it comes to travel advisors, it's such a challenge because you may have a client that approaches you and you talk to them about the fact that you charge a fee. Well, one of the first things they're going to say is, well, other travel advisors don't charge a fee. And so then there's this, you know, it's kind of pitting us against each other in the industry. And I don't like it at all. And I feel like we just kind of need to come together on one accord. Um, but I definitely think that number should be higher than 54% because, you know, as you mentioned, it is a form of, you know, we all have lives to live. Um, for some of us, this is our full-time job. This is the only thing we do. So if we don't charge a fee up front, then we're literally working for free for six months, nine months, 12 months or more. And I don't know many people that are going to do it. Eric, you going to work for free for a yeah, year? Exactly, right? Yeah, that's where things were, you know, really crushing blow to a lot of travel advisors too during the pandemic. And you know, we've are coming out of that. Travel's coming back. It's bouncing back. You mentioned Asta too, and their their numbers. I did just check on that. It is just say they said over fifty percent. So certainly, we'd love to see that higher on fees. But that's why you know commissions are so important and timely commissions as well too. Which Asta released a list of suppliers who do have timely commissions. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, as an advisor, you know, how you value that, uh, what value you get from that list, and also just in general, um, travel advisor commissions. Which brands do you think excel? Um, sure. Yeah, I was surprised by the list. Honestly, I was like, whoa, because for me, it's a step towards more transparency. I was surprised in a good way because I do think that it's putting more transparency out there. It's honestly holding, you know, brands and suppliers accountable as well to a certain degree. And so um, it's a valuable list from an advisor standpoint because it's showing you front and center. Here are the, here are the brands, here are the suppliers that are dedicated to working with you as a true partner here are the brands that are taking accountability and responsibility for making sure that you get paid on time here are the brands that care about you and your livelihood and your families because they're willing to make the extra effort resources time to make sure that you get your payments on time so i think that there's lots of value in this list um i love the transparency this is a step in the right direction um i think the list so it's kind of like motivation can you imagine being a supplier that's mm -hmm. not on the list and you see the list come out and you're like, oh, we're not on the list. Like it's kind of embarrassing, I would think. And so hopefully it'll be motivation for more people to want to be on the list um, so that they can kind of shine their light too and show the same things that these brands are showing. So I think that it's a good thing. It's definitely very, very valuable from an advisor standpoint. Um, it gives us as advisors a sense of reassurance that, you know, if we book with those suppliers on that list, 
we know that we're going to get paid on time. So it kind of relieves stress and anxiety, you know, from us as advisors and kind of gives us a sense of relief. So true. And there's a good thing. Yeah. And there's a lot of new advisors too coming into the fold and they're going to use that as a resource. So if you're a supplier out there, yeah, you definitely want to be a part of that list. And because you just come off as, as a as a brand that does excel when it comes to commission. So any any uh, you want to give like a, just a few that stand out for you. And you don't have to say commission levels because I know commission levels for pay is is very different for every travel advisor out there. Obviously, if you have more experience or you have your host agency, it's going to be different on different commission levels. And we have a report up on Travel Pulse, which with some of the ones that pay the best, you know, commission levels and breaks it down by percentages and things. But curious your thoughts on which brands jump out to you with travel advisor commissions. Eric, you're trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, yeah. I think that, well, obviously everybody on this list is here for a reason. Let's start out right there on a positive note. Um, but I, I do think that some um, from the list, um, Royal, Osmara, Seaborn, Celebrity, um, are some of the brands that excel. Virgin, an interesting thing about Virgin that I noticed is that obviously, um, you know, they're kind of new to the industry, haven't been around for a, a long time. But I noticed that like, when they hit the market, they came in hot. Like they were like, we're, we're lifting our commission rates. So I know that probably shook some boots of some of the other cruise companies because they came in. That was one of the things that they wanted all the advisors to know is that, you know, we're giving you commission on all of these things and our commission rate is going to start higher than XYZ. So I commend Virgin for kind of being bold, boldly stepping into the industry, um, you know, shaking the table um, because I'm sure some other companies might not have done that. Um, but another thing that I noticed about the list in general is this make crew suppliers. There was only like what, two or three or four land suppliers. So of course I got questions. I'm like, why are there not more, you know, wholesale and land suppliers on this list? Um, so I would love to see more of those type of suppliers on the list. And it just, you know, it's a starting point, but it also shows us that we still have a ways to go and there's more work to do because I obviously want to see this list be much bigger than where it is right now. Um, but yeah, just an observation. I don't know if you picked up on that, Eric. Yeah. I mean, the cruise industry historically is, is much better at paying commissions and, and working with travel advisors on that. And I'm sure Virgin did, you know, shake things up a little bit when they came in with theirs. And, you know, all-inclusive resorts are here or there on things. Uh, but as we talk about, you know, the current state of travel advisor commissions, you know, what do you think suppliers could do to improve when it comes to commissions? You know, the obvious ones, you know, being is paying on time, as we've discussed, is timely pay is, is great. But uh, but what else? You should suppliers pay more up front. I know Colette does that. They're, they're one that gets a lot of praise from travel advisors when we when I when I do reports on advisor commissions and things. But yeah, anything um, that you would want to see uh, changed up there, I guess, or, or ways to improve. Definitely paying more up front. I can understand if, you know, they don't want to pay the full amount up front, but we're working, like we're doing work. So I think that paying more up front, maybe even up to half, maybe that's ambitious of me, but I do think paying more up front would be great. Um, it, it might even help us, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it might even help us be able to provide better services. If we're getting paid more up front, we might be able to do more things for our clients. We have more money, more access to building or, or giving them gifts or whatever to, to enhance their vacation experience. Um, so I definitely think that that's one. I think communication has a lot of opportunity for improvement as well. If we could receive like notifications that, you know, your commission has been sent or something like that, I think it will also be helpful to kind of just, for us, you know, I know 
I can speak for myself and I'm sure most other travel advisors, we track these things. Like we're tracking like, okay, we should get paid around this time. Um, so I think having that communication, just a simple email notification would help us, you know, for tracking purposes, along with just having, again, a sense of relief, reduce our stress level of knowing like, okay, it's on the way, it's almost here. So I think better communication. Um, and I would also love to see commission on more components, some more of those add-ons that we're not getting paid on right now would be great because we're still doing the work on those too, whether it's an excursion or something else, we're still assisting the client. We're still answering their questions. We're, we're still selling it to our clients. So I would love to see, you know, more commission, higher commission rates on those add-on components as well. All great insights. Yeah. A lot, a lot of things for the suppliers to really jump into. And I think, yeah, if you can, if you're a supplier out there, if you can master or, you know, excel and stand out, do something different, you know, to captivate the travel advisor community, it's going to resonate. It's going to stay, it's going to last and really help your brand exceed and, and reach new levels for sure. Cause it, there's power in the travel advisors. They're the real travel influencers out there. Um, Definitely. And I think one more thing that is important to note is that travel advisors talk. So if word starts to spread that there's a certain brand or supplier or resort that's either not paying commissions or not paying commissions on time, the word is out there. The reputation is out there. So, you know, it it's a risk for brands not to take this seriously because I can speak for myself. There's definitely some brands on my do not sell list and I'm sure travel advisors have other travel advisors have similar lists where they've literally just crossed out that supplier or that brand because of their lack to, to have timely payments. And so it's a risk. You're losing business. You're leaving money on the table by not being timely or working mm-hmm. better with us on getting paid. So Right. Yeah. They're messing with your money and ultimately it's messing their money up, you know? So as we wrap up here, what would be your advice to fellow travel advisors on maximizing or um, commission levels and excelling in, in, in this sector, in this area? Definitely. Um, you touched on one briefly. Um, and I think one thing would be to research uh, consortias and host agencies, because as you mentioned, sometimes you can have greater economies of scale or you, you can uh, achieve higher commission rates depending on who you're associated with or what um, what group you're in. So definitely, you know, research host agencies and consortia to see if that's a way that you can kind of increase some of your commission percentages. Um, also, I think we have to be intentional about the types of travel that we sell. For example, if you want higher commission, you might need to look at, you know, maybe you look at your past year and look at the type of travel that you were selling, whether it's, you know, domestic, international, or whatever the type of travel you're selling, and kind of just do a review, like, is this the same type of travel that I want to continue to sell for the next year? Or do I want to, you know, niche down or, or you know, make my, my offerings more specific so that I can attract a certain group of clientele that's going to, you know, have higher ticket, you know, vacations that's going to get me a higher commission. So kind of just be intentional about what you're selling, review your past um, numbers to see if there's ways that you can kind of improve you know, what you're selling and who you're selling to. And then we talked about this already. If you're not already doing so, consider charging fees. Um, while it won't directly affect your commission rate in all instances, it is another stream of income that you can incorporate to, you know, improve your overall profits. And um, I would also say 
make sure your record keeping is on point. Make sure it's impeccable. Again, if you kind of go back and look at your past year and look at those commissions, it can help you. It can provide insights for you in the following year as to like, again, what type of travel to sell, what brands to sell. Because if you go back and look at the past year and you sold brand X and their commission rate was you know, 5% higher than the other brand, you might say, hmm, maybe I need to sell more of brand X. You know what I mean? So right. definitely make sure your record keeping is good. It's on point. Um, and the last thing that I would just recommend is something that I do is I try to always make sure that I know the contacts or that, that deal with the accounting and the commission. That way, if I have any questions, I can go directly to them to inquire about the commission rate or whatever that may be. If you don't have that contact, you can probably start with your BDM and they can help you navigate that. But always having that accounting contact in your pocket is is helpful. Great insight. We really appreciate it, Tariqa here. Thank you. Can you uh, just tell our listeners where they can get in touch with you or follow you on the socials or anything like that if they want to reach out? Yeah, they can um, follow me at Dynamite Travel altogether on any social media platform. They can visit my website, which is sodynamite.com. One of those two ways, they're bound to find me. Excellent. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk all things travel. That wraps up what we have here on the podcast this week. Stay tuned for next week. We'll be talking a little bit about dark tourism and the spooky season here too coming up. So that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. 